This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chetka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. We all have stresses in our life, our work, finances, family issues. The world is a stressful place, and even more so in recent times. We often don't have control over the stresses we experience, but we can have control over our reaction to them. These stresses can represent challenges in our lives, but in many circumstances, these stresses can also represent opportunities for growth. While some individuals are better at adversity in our lives than others, we can all improve our ability to handle adversity in our lives. Today, we're joined by Dr. Anjali Bagra, a Mayo Clinic general internist and executive healthcare provider, and I consider Dr. Bagra a resiliency expert. And our discussion today will center around stresses, adversity in our life, and resiliency. Anjali, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me here and choosing this topic. Well, this is an interesting topic. We've not discussed anything like this before. So let's start with the definition. So exactly what is resilience? So resilience is um, our ability to withstand, grow from, and bounce back uh, from adversity. It is not just uh, dealing with adversity, but learning. As you said, it's opportunity for growth. And building resilience is something that we can learn, and that happens at the level of the human brain. All right. So how do we develop resilience? So we can build, develop, and enhance resilience by understanding what the traps of our brain are. So in other words, um, understanding the neuroscience of resilience can help us tremendously to build resilience. Human brain, unfortunately, um, despite being a very sophisticated structure, has some extraordinary traps. But the good news is that we can work around them once we understand them better to become more resilient. Explain the traps of our brain. Yes, so the human brain um, struggles from, as you may have focused, in a day full of patients, a packed calendar. We can all um, experience lack of focus, uh, fatigue, and sometimes we almost fear seeing that patient on our calendar that we know is going to uh, be a difficult one to handle. So the three Fs, focus, fatigue, fear, those are the three traps uh, that we are all very predisposed to. And what happens when we experience these without, as you mentioned earlier, an ability to react to these productively, our brain gets locked in a mode called the default mode. And that's the mode where we, we are just, uh, we are problem solving constantly. We're going from one problem to the other. It's essentially a big clutter in our brain, if you will. And mm -hmm. we jump from one problem to the other. I also call these black holes or open files. Um, and what's most fascinating and interesting is while we are, uh, we could be in our office seeing patients, we could be worrying about um, a leaky faucet in our basement or um, a, a medical appointment that I did not schedule for my uh, kids or a flu shot or the deals that I missed on Black Friday. So we have this innate capacity, this tremendous capacity to, um, and this urge, if you will, to multitask 
although we know that we are not good at multitasking. But our brain is not dealing with one item at a time. It is multitasking multiple stressors that we have to handle. Absolutely. I think societally, we also tend to reward some of this. Uh, and, and that leads to a further trap, right? Here is a person who can do, um, you know, 10 things in an eight hour workday. So this is a great person to incentivize. And so we create, if you will, a culture where we, um, we perpetuate some of this. And as you said that, it's, it's a tendency, but this is not what makes us resilient in the long term. In fact, this is what makes us burn out, um, on the other hand. Yeah. Well, I, I've known some individuals who just can deal with multiple stresses at one time. And I don't think they've ever had any training in resiliency. Do they, do they just develop that on their own, or were they born with it? Mm -hmm. How do they, how do they uh, develop that skill? Right. So some of what we see outwardly is not how it's happening with that individual. That's something to keep in mind. You know, what we see may not be the reality. In terms of people being able to do it, though, there are, I would say there are three main determinants of how resilient an individual may be. Uh, the number one is genetics, mm -hmm. so genes. Uh, some of it has to do with our life situations, so that's the number two. And finally, it's the choices we make. So it's, a, it's a basically a combination of these three things that would determine how resilient we are coming into an experience or a phase of life, work or family. So um, while we, we cannot choose our genes and we have limited control of, uh, over our life situations, um, especially I'll give you an example, um, at work, we don't control our EMR, right? And I wish we could. <laughs> I know. So we don't control that. But how we respond to it and the choices that we make, leaning into that change around us, really sets the stage for how resilient we come out of that change. So ch making good choices, I would say, is, is entirely in our control. It's not easy, and that's where the training comes. Okay. Mindful presence. What does that mean? Could, could you explain that? Yes, so um, our presence can happen in a variety of different ways. So at work, for example, uh, we could have what I call a, a therapeutic presence where we go in with a patient and we know everything went great and the patient walks out feeling heard and uh, resonates with what we shared with them. On the other hand, sometimes uh, it does not go that way. While we gave the latest recommendations by the guideline society, but somehow whatever we shared with the patient did not go well. That's a scenario where we do not, or we did not have a therapeutic presence. One way to cultivate that is to be, um, to be very careful about how we come across uh, with individuals. And so mindful presence essentially is when we, um, when we are present, fully, when we are giving the gift of um, um, listening unconditionally, mm -hmm. um, accepting rather than judging, and uh, really coming at it with um, a higher or deeper meaning of helping the other individual. Now that's an example in work um, scenario. On the other hand, in relationships, we know, uh, for example, in busy families with young kids, what we tend to have is more of a logistical presence. And sometimes parents with children could have 
almost a threatful presence. You know, if this isn't done, then, you know, you're not getting your whatever pocket mm -hmm. money or incentive of some kind. And I think that really interferes with cultivating meaningful relationships. So a mindful presence in relationships would be affiliative presence where we are not correcting each other or always sharing logistics, but we are there for each other unconditionally mm -hmm. to enjoy each other, um, to, um, to cherish each other versus, hey, I really loved you for who you were 20 years ago, but now here's a checklist of what I'd like you to do better. I get that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all, all right. get that. That explains a lot. Today's podcast is sponsored by Mayo Clinic's online CME. Go to ce.mayo.edu slash online CME to see the full list of course offerings. Join us here weekly at Mayo Clinic Talks as we discuss best practices and burning questions. Subscribe today using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Well, I know with patients, we like to feel that we're in control of the situation. You know, mm -hmm. before we go in to see the patient, if we're giving them test results, we like to look at them ahead of time, anticipate the patient's response to our discussion, and then think in our heads mm -hmm. what we're going to recommend for management. But sometimes we probably have to take some of this on the fly. Uh, for mm -hmm. example, a patient, we recommend a course of medication for their lipids, they decide they don't want to take a medication. Mm -hmm. So that kind of changes our point of view in terms of how we're going to manage this. So stress is created right away mm -hmm. and you can't really anticipate all of these things. Absolutely. And like I said, this has to be um, a practice that we have to work towards intentionally. So what you shared is a classic scenario, preempting some of those difficult situations, some of the vulnerable situations that we would be in yet keeping perspective of why we are here. We are here to help you. Yes, we have to um, share with you what, you know, what's the best thing for you to do. It, it may not be what you want me to say to you. I get it, and I, I validate that concern. Yes, it's, it has to be an intentional process. We need to call out mm -hmm. um, constantly. All right. Because if we don't, then our presence becomes threatful. All right, another term I came across is kind attention. What does that mean? Yes, so that is another pillar for building resilience, kindness, and that also can be cultivated through a deliberate practice. Now, our brains, um, although they we have all these traps, the good news is we can rewire our brain. So we can, uh, we are thankful for the fact that we can reverse engineer some of these innate circuits. Um, and we also know that areas of the brain that we, um, you know, um, engage in, they grow bare, and they have better connectivity. So kind attention is all about uh, having attention in the front part of the brain or the prefrontal cortex. And really, um, you know, looking at individuals, one way of cultivating that is looking at individuals as being uh, very precious. We know despite our bank balances, um, our net worths are beyond what we can imagine if we ask our loved ones or our pets love us dearly, mm -hmm. right? Um, so kind attention is understanding everybody is precious and everybody is struggling. Everybody has emotional hurts. 
Um, I'm fortunate in my practice uh, to uh, offer resilience consults to my patients, and, and it's just liberating when we are together in a consult that those are the two things common between me and my patients. You know, we are, we are both very precious and we are both struggling. Mm -hmm. And when you come in with that commonality of humanity, I think it really allows us to generate more kind attention versus a competitive attention or always coming in uh, with a negotiation mindset, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, we've talked about how to use resilience with our patients. How about in our personal lives? How about our interactions with our spouses, our children, parents? How does it work there? It actually, um, you know, we had a conversation about this earlier that, uh, you know, building resilience at work, we have to understand this is not about blaming the victim. This is not about saying that, hey, you're getting burnt out and you cannot handle, handle the pressures of um, medicine, but resilience is about increasing our um, higher meaning and deeper meaning at work. Um, as I shared earlier, ways of doing that at work is, uh, you know, creating mindful presence, um, practicing uh, random uh, kindness uh, initiatives in a group with your teens. At home with children, actually, it is critically important for parents uh, to partner up with their children because what's happening more and more now, we know that, uh, you know, kids are overconnected on social media. So while they are hyperconnected, they are lonelier than ever because it is hard for them to have meaningful friendships and connections. And one part of, um, one way we could help them is by create, uh, creating awareness of resilience. It is also critically important because uh, children, when they face adversity, and if they are not taught resilience, later mm -hmm. on in life they actually have physical manifestations and disease from adversity. It's not just an emotional or a mental or psychological thing, but a physical thing. So one way of um, building resilience in kids is normalizing struggle. I would say that is the first step. Struggle doesn't go away. Um, it's something that sticks with us uh, our entire lives and giving them a framework to find solutions. And the framework is really giving them the three pillars, practices of gratitude, you know, being thankful for what they have versus what they would want. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, something we see a lot with social media, right? Um, kindness, building kindness practices, and also mindfulness. So that mindful presence, kind attention, and gratitude. I, I, I believe these three pillars are key for cultivating resilience. I've sent many of my patients to your program for resiliency, and uh, universally, they have loved it. And they have all said, I've never heard this stuff before. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like this is something that everybody should know about, but um, are kids being taught this in school or are young adults being taught this? That is a great question. I am really fortunate uh, to be involved in, and what I would like to share with you is, number one, research and resilience and education on resilience is exploding. Uh, there, is, um, there is a societal emphasis on resilience, um, and the other beauty about this is interdisciplinary approach. So um, in public schools, for example, within Rochester, we teamed up with the teachers in public school and taught this program to them. Excellent. And uh, we are very excited. Hopefully, it'll uh, the study will be published soon, but what we found in that is um, teaching resilience to teachers improved their 
connections and relationships with children. It also sort of reframed the emphasis of learning being more on kindness and resilience. So yes, there are a lot of initiatives to help teachers um, teach about this and talk about this in schools. Um, so I'm really excited to see where this will um, hopefully go over the next decade. Sure. Well, we see similar patients. When you're dealing with our patients, what are the most common stresses that are present in their lives? Is it work-related? Is it family-related combination? What do they describe to you? Yes, so I see patients from uh, you know a variety of different practices. Executive medicine is one big practice from where I see patients, and by far the biggest stressor in that group of patients is work-related. Mm -hmm. um, sadly, you know, um, a lot of what we see as worldly success is not what gives them happiness, gives our patients happiness. So uh, while they are doing great at work, um, I think uh, somewhere the brain goes uh, undergoes a process called hedonic adaptation because something that was very novel and gave us a tremendous amount of joy over time we lose that novelty so work-related stress tends to be a very common source of stress i do see a fair number of patients uh, with um, new diagnosis of cancer and i think uh, just facing transience and a lot of everything that comes with that diagnosis can be a huge stressor i also sit down with a lot of parents um, of teenagers, and uh, that tends to be very stressful as well. Are there good resources out there for us to learn more about this? So, uh, so forth, the internet? Mm -hmm. So there are resources um, available um, at Mayo, of course, as we, we've mm -hmm. been talking. We have a program uh, where patients are colleagues, providers um, can be referred to. We actually have this as a part of our medical school training now, uh, this program on resilience. We have uh, a student life and wellness committee where we constantly talk about this. We have wellness initiatives and training programs. As far as I know, I think there are more and more training programs including these um, kind of initiatives in medical training. As far as resources for patients, um, there are um, I, I know other institutions like Mayo are building on some of these um, offerings for patients, but there are, hopefully this podcast would be a good resource, and, and I think this is fantastic. This is a great resource. Um, so uh, social media also, it, I feel, is a good resource if mm -hmm. used well um, for people who don't have access to, let's say, experts whom they could sit with face-to-face. We've been talking about resiliency with Dr. Anjali Bagra, a Mayo Clinic physician in general internal medicine. Anjali, thank you so much for taking your time to discuss this topic with us. Thanks for having me here. This has been awesome. Thank you for your kind emails and topic suggestions. We invite you to continue to share your thoughts and questions at cme at mayo.edu. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.